their bodies will be led dead in the streets to mock. They'll be treated like roadkill, like a dead animal, showing the utter contempt many people in the world will have for their message. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in the last message of our study of the Revelation. And yesterday, Dr. Brogy began a recap of the entire book of Revelation. We left off looking at the various judgments that will occur following the rapture of the church. Let's rejoin Pastor Carl as he picks up his summation of this prophetic book in chapter 5. In chapter 5 and verses 12 and 13, among other things, it shouts his deity. Look at it. Worthy is a lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That sevenfold blessing that could be said of God only in every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, they've worshiped God the Father as creator in chapter 4. Now they are worshiping the Lamb as redeemer in chapter 5. Let there be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. So these people who say that Jesus never claimed to be God are just blind. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. This whole chapter shouts his deity. You might as well tear chapter 5 out of your Bible if you are rejecting the deity of Christ because it plainly affirms it. Now in chapters 6 through 18, we are told of the wrath of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 6 becomes a shock to the censors. There are seal judgments, there are trumpet judgments, and then there are bold judgments that will follow. And so we looked at these 21 judgments, and I told you it's important that you understand the structure, the architecture of these three sets of judgments or you'll get confused quite easily. And so, for instance, the first trumpet cannot come until the seventh seal is open. And the first bowl judgment cannot come until the seventh trumpet is blown. And so this first slide here shows you the seven-sealed scroll. And the first four judgments have become almost an idiom in our day, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And so when people use that, even unsaved people, they're describing the advent of war or terrible events. And so we saw in the first horse, the white horse was the Antichrist, the one who comes in the place and instead of Jesus. Then there is war in the second horse. There's devastation and there's death seen in the white, red, black, and ashen horses. Four ghastly, ghoulish, gruesome riders who are representative of all the trouble that is going to come upon the earth in the next seven years. After the four horsemen, the fifth seal, the seal of martyrdom is broken, and we see there, we studied all the saints, these who come to faith after the church is raptured. And if you're counting on becoming a believer after the church is raptured, it will be too late. The only people who will hear and believe the gospel are those who have never heard it before in clarity and in power, according to Second Thessalonians 2. Then we saw the sixth seal. It's the first of many cosmic changes to come. And, uh, and then the pattern is the same. Six seals, an interlude, 
the seventh seal. We'll see the same when we come to the trumpets. Six trumpets, an interlude, the seventh trumpet. We'll see the same with the bowls. Six bowls, an interlude, and then the seventh bowl. And the interludes are not a pause in time. They're a reflection of what has been happening during this time. And so in chapter 7, the first interlude, we learned of 144,000 Jews from 12 tribes who are saved. Look at verse 4, chapter 7. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And so these Jewish men, and they are men, are preaching the word of God, and their witness and the results of it are given in verse 9. What the church has not done in 2,000 years will happen during this seven-year period. Look at verse 9. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And so we learned in this section that with the six seals of judgment, it perfectly parallels the message that Jesus gave to three of his disciples a few days before the crucifixion on the Mount of Olives. This slide reminds you of that. First, there will be false Christ, and that is a picture of the white horse and the false Christ of all false Christs, of course, will be the Antichrist himself. Then Jesus said, you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. That's the second seal, the red horse. Then Jesus spoke of famines in various places. That's the third seal. That's the black horse. Then he spoke of death. That's the fourth seal. That's the, the ashen, the pale horse. Then he spoke of martyrs, people who would die for the faith. That's the fifth seal. Then cosmic changes. Now, while Jesus is not specific on the same level the revelation is, in Luke chapter 21 and verse 11, he said there'll be signs in the heavens during this time. Again, this is the first half of the tribulation. It represents the sixth seal where there's cosmic changes. And then Jesus said the worldwide preaching, this gospel will go to the whole world and then the end will come. It has nothing to do with the rapture. Jesus could have come one day after Pentecost if he so chose. It has everything to do with the second coming. And it is during this seven-year period that the gospel will go to every single unreached people group in the world, people who have never heard the name of Jesus, people who have never seen a Bible. It is going to go out through the whole planet. And then, of course, there'll be an event the abomination of desolation that Jesus speaks right in the middle of this seven-year period there on the Mount of Olives. Look at chapter 8 and verse 1. It opens rather dramatically. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now remember, there are seven seals, and the seventh seal is contained seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet is contained seven bowls. Unlike the seals that we studied that you can see just one at a time, when the seventh seal is open, you can see all seven trumpets and all seven bowls that will follow. And when the recipients in heaven to this message see what is ahead, silence. 30 minutes, no one says anything. It's like their breath was taken away. Now, again, the architecture is the same. Six trumpets, 
an interlude found in chapters 10 through 14, and then the seventh trumpet that will bring the seven bowls. And as you read through these chapters, you'll discover there's an explicit cause-effect relationship between the opening of the seven seals and the unfolding of the seven trumpets. And so the opening of the seventh seal prepares for the, prepares for the seven trumpets because the trumpets can't be blown until the seventh seal is opened. And perhaps this is the longest time of silence ever in the history of heaven. Look at chapter 8 and verse 7. It's awesome and terrifying what is described. The first trumpet, it sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and the green grass was burned off. That's a judgment on the vegetation, and you can't live without it. Verse 8, the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. God now brings a judgment on a third of the seas, and a third of the ships, and a third of the living creatures in the sea that will die because man has failed to recognize and worship the God of creation, because man today worships evolution, he worships science, he worships the green movement instead of the God who created it all, God is going to judge the very thing that they are worshiping. Verse 10, the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. This is a judgment on the fresh water rivers and all the fresh water spring sources across the planet. They're made bitter. A third of them will be destroyed. Verse 12, the fourth angel sounded. And a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck so that a third of them would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. And so John is telling us that God is going to allow amongst the celestial bodies light to be at a diminished rate. The Bible tells us, of course, that the world loves the darkness. You love the darkness? God says, let me give you some. And a third of the day that would otherwise be light will be darkened as a third of the night when the moon and the stars are shining, they will be darkened. And then an angel cries out in chapter 8 and verse 13, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to sound. This angel is basically saying, if you think this is bad, Wait until you see the last three trumpets because you haven't seen anything yet. And then the fifth trumpet is sounded, chapter 9, verse 2. He opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth and power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth nor any green thing nor any tree but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when, a, when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death 
flees from them. We saw these are not literal locusts. We let Scripture interpret Scripture. They're ugly like locusts, but these are demons. And these demons are released from the abyss. And what they bring will be so harsh, so painful, that men will want to commit suicide, but they will be prevented. A man may take a gun to his head, and the demon will take it away. No one will be able to take their own life. Now, remember, there are various places for demons in the Bible that we studied. This morning, they're waging war in the heavenlies, as the next slide shows. Paul says we wage war not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. There is an invisible war that is unfolding, and Daniel 10 illustrates it for you. There's another class of demons in a section of hell known as Tartarus. Both Jude and Peter says they are in eternal chains, never to be released again because of a heinous, wicked sex crime that they committed during the days of Noah. Then there are those angels who are in the abyss who have lost their freedom to wage war. Remember when those those two uh, uh, Gerardine demoniacs were dealt with by Christ. The demons begged, don't send us into the abyss. Why? Because they would lose all freedom to wage war under Satan's control. But these demons who today are in the abyss, they are the worst of the worst. They are going to be released during this time. And then, of course, the final resting place of demons is the lake of fire. Look at chapter uh, verse 13. The sixth trumpet is blown, and one angel releases four angels, and they're described here in verse uh, 15. And the four angels, who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and a year, were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. Those people should have come to their senses but verse 21 says, and they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. And so this slide of the seven trumpets show in chapters eight and nine, as you see these six trumpets, but then there's another interlude before the seventh trumpet is sounded. And again, this is not a time interlude. This is an opportunity to reflect, to see what has been going on during this time frame, we're in the second half of the tribulation. Remember, the abomination of desolation is the trigger event. That trigger event brings 30 minutes of silence into heaven. Why? Because the first trumpet is sounded that will ultimately release the seven bowls of wrath to come. And so in 8 and 9, you have the first six trumpets. Then in chapter 10, we learned of the angel in his little book. Look, if you will, at chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. John said the taste was both sweet and it was bitter. It's sweet for the believer in the sense that we are going to see all of the glory that God has for us, but it is bitter for the unbeliever in his mouth because of the judgments that are going to follow and then the eternal retribution that will come. Then in chapter 11 and verse 15, uh, before the seventh trumpet is blown, we learn of two witnesses. And these two witnesses are used by God to share the gospel for the first um, period of time, the three and a half years. And again, remember, he's looking back at what has been going on during this time. 
And so these two witnesses, who are they? Who witnessed for the first three and a half years? I suggested to you there were Moses and Elijah. Elijah, almost everyone agrees with. Why? Because the Bible speaks of the second coming of Elijah, that Elijah is going to come. Malachi says in Malachi 4 and verse 5, behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He says that in the last book of the Old Testament. And interestingly, in the verse before, Malachi 4.4, he mentions Moses. And by the way, Jesus affirmed in Matthew 17.11 that Elijah is coming back. Elijah is coming and will restore all things. And so I think it's interesting that these two witnesses have a ministry that mimics the kinds of miracles and things that both Moses and Elijah did. I don't think it's by accident that on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Lord Jesus describing what will follow these seven years is in discussion with both Moses and Elijah. Now, Christians may debate as to over who these two witnesses are, but I can tell you no one can debate what they will do. They will be murdered for preaching the gospel. Look at verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, that's Jerusalem, which mystically is called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So their bodies will be led dead in the streets to mock. They'll be treated like roadkill, like a dead animal, showing the utter contempt many people in the world will have for their message. Verse 10, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and celebrate. And they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. But the devil's Christmas party will soon be ended because as the world celebrates and exchanges gifts over the death of these two men who brought all kinds of judgments by the word of their power through God, as their bodies turn blue and rigor mortis sets in, and then they begin to bloat, and the cameras of the world are on them. Suddenly, a miracle happens, verse 11. But after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. As the cameras of the world are transfixed on this, suddenly a glow of health returns to their body and they stand to their feet and the party goers are just confounded over what has happened. Verse 12, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. Then they went up into heaven in the cloud and their enemies watched them. I love it. A loud voice speaks directly from heaven and says, come up here. And I suspect this is one of God's angels, just like Lazarus is carried by an angel of God into Abraham's bosom or what we would call heaven. Look, it's nice when you go to a new place to have someone to take you, to lead you. That's one of the ministry of angels for believers. It was a great comfort to me when the Lord took our precious little granddaughter Jane home to know (laughs) that she went escorted into the presence of Jesus. These two men, they're going on a real dreamliner. They're going up there in the cloud and the world will watch and God is reenacting what had happened three and a half years earlier in the rapture where suddenly millions of people across the planet were missing and people are no doubt connecting the dots. Then the seventh trumpet is blown in verse 15. However, between Revelation 11:15 and the 
unleashing of the bold judgments, there's another parenthesis, a double parenthesis of sorts. And again, just like the interlude of chapter 7 is telling you what is happening during this time, so again, here is a chart again to fix it in your mind. Remember the events as they unfold. The next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture. Suddenly, we'll be caught up. Harpazo will meet the Lord in the air. And this seven-year period divides into two halves. In the first half, the false messiah will protect Israel, and there'll be the religion of the harlot. There'll be a one-world religion, but it'll be all the isms of the world brought together. And in the second half, when the abomination of desolation is committed, Israel will be persecuted, and there'll be only one religion, and it's the religion of the Antichrist. And again, the trigger event is the abomination of desolation. And so the function here of chapters 12, 13, and 14, again, are parenthetical, but they are introducing you to the key players during this seven-year period on history. And there are seven personages that are highlighted in these chapters in the final drama of human history. First, there's the woman. We studied here in chapter 12. She is representative of the nation of Israel. Then there is the dragon. Scripture interprets Scripture. It's the devil himself. There's the male child that Israel gives us. We call him the Messiah, Jesus Christ. There's Michael, who's called the archangel. In addition, the Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, mentions the rest of her children. And that was the saved Jewish remnant, remnant, Jews who acknowledge Yeshua is Lord. Then there's the first beast out of the sea. We saw that as the Antichrist. Then there is a second beast who comes out of the earth, and we saw that as the false prophet. Now, again, the sequential order of these different judgments does not mean during these parentheses that everything is stopping. He is reviewing what has been happening and who the key players are. So the seventh trumpet contains the seven bowls, and we are introduced in chapter 15 to those bowls, and then in chapter 16. But look at chapter 12. Let's look at the details in a little more specificity. We studied Satan's first fall from his original position in Revelation 12 and verse 4, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. So his position was robbed. We studied it in Isaiah 14. In Ezekiel 28, we let the Scripture interpret the Scripture. And then if you remember, the woman who's mentioned is Israel, and the child that the Jewish people give us is the Messiah. The dragon, again, is Satan. And of course, in verse 7, Satan has always hated Israel, and he's always hated God's purposes. And so we read of a war in heaven, Revelation 12, 7, and there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels warring with the dragon, the dragon and his angels waged war. So Satan and his demons fight Michael, the archangel, and his angels. There's a war in heaven, and yes, Michael wins. And Satan now, along with all of his demons, are no longer operating in the realm of the heavenlies during this time. They're literally, physically, actually on the planet. You don't want to be here for that time. And he will especially do everything in his power to wipe out the Jewish people. Then in chapter 13, we're introduced to the Antichrist and the false prophet. Again, key leaders during this seven-year period. And they will capture the hearts of millions and millions of people. Men, when they reject the truth, they will believe a lie. Listen, the opposite of 
unbelief is not just, well, I won't believe anything. The fact is, in Scripture, when you refuse to believe what God says, you will end up believing a lie. That's why many people are in cults today. They heard the plan of salvation, like Joseph Smith, but because he was immoral at heart, didn't want to believe the truth, he ended up believing a lie and created his own. And so you see that happening. Look at verse 4 here. And they worship the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And so powerful will these two people be, we learn in verse 16, and he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free man and the slaves to be given a mark in their right hand and on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here then is wisdom, he says, let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number of his name is that of a man and the number is 666. Now people have tried to figure out throughout time who the Antichrist is. Listen, if you figure out who the Antichrist is, you will, it means that you've missed the rapture because he won't be revealed until after the church is removed. But his name, because in Greek, every letter of the alphabet, like other languages, has a numerical value. It will add up to 666. Then chapter 14 opens up with the Lord Jesus on top of Mount Zion, what we call today the Temple Mount. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. John is looking into the future. He sees these 144,000 Jewish evangelists, Christ is back, and he sees them standing there on the Temple Mount. They can put up to a half a million Arabs at times like Ramadan up on that 35 acres. But on this occasion, there's 144,000 that no one could kill because they had the seal of God. You could take a gun, you could take a knife. They were indestructible because God had a plan and a purpose for them. But then in addition to these 144,000 and these two witnesses, some angels are involved in giving God's message. And so in verses 6 through 11, we saw three angels that are called to preach three messages. And one of these three angels has the eternal gospel according to verse 6. Chapter 14 then, of course, crescendos as the war of Armageddon is unfolded. Look at verse 18. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the great wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. And so there, if you've stood at Harmageddon, some of you have been there with me, and you can see the Jezreel Valley and extends from end to end. It's 200 miles long, and there's going to be so many soldiers and so much bloodshed, and the ground will be so soaked with blood that as the horses run through it, the horse will splash all the way up to their bridles. 
to listen again to today's message, the final verses of the final chapter of the Revelation, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and request program REV73. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you can help support this Bible study ministry, click the Give button on the Search the Scriptures app or at searchthescriptures.org or call us at 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow we come to the end of our study of Revelation as we look at Christ's final words. Join us then as we search the scriptures.